In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. When I was little, there was an exhibit at the Philadelphia Science Museum for Children that left a, a bit of an impact on me. It was a maze, um, but it was a maze that when you entered in, it was completely dark. And you had to sort of walk and kind of feel your way along the wall because it was really dark. Not even a pinprick of light for at least the first half of this maze. And you had to sort of make your way around a number of turns before you got to the light. And eventually, you know, someone would bump into you and you would wonder if you were going the right way or if they were going the right way. Because darkness is disorienting and it's heavy and it's weighty. And I remember as a, as a little kid walking through this darkness and almost feeling like I needed to swim in it because there was no light at all. You could make nothing out. Lent is a season of contrasts. Last week in our Genesis text, we saw the contrast between good and evil, between knowledge and innocence. In the gospel, as we followed Jesus into the wilderness, we looked at the contrast between scarcity and abundance, the contrast between sort of the garden that God created and the wilderness that we live in. And today is no different. But the contrast that the gospel calls our attention to today is the difference between light and dark. The difference between God's brightness and the darkness that is around us and in us. Sometimes when we look at the text, the best way to sort of latch on to what it's trying to tell us is to notice what's there and what isn't there. And in this gospel passage today, the author is very, very clear to tell us something important about Nicodemus's visit to Jesus, and that is that it happens at night. There's no reason to tell us that, really unless he's trying to make a point. Nicodemus goes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. And I think we sort of have to wonder why that is, because at this point in Jesus' life, he is a figure, a celebrity even. There are crowds following him everywhere, and as Nicodemus acknowledges in the text, he's working miracles. And so people are following him and sort of flocking to him, and it would have been very easy for Nicodemus, like everyone else, to find him during the day. People knew exactly where he was all the time. He was a bit of a phenomenon. So why not go join the rest of the crowds on the hills? And if you have questions, ask them then. Why come at night? Why would he do that? It's an interesting conversation between the two of them, isn't it? Nicodemus acknowledges that he's working these miracles and says, you must be one of us. That's really what he's saying. You have the power of God, or you couldn't possibly do all these things. And what he's really saying is, I'm a teacher of Israel. You must be one of us. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which means he's part of the religious elite. And Jesus says, you are a teacher of Israel. He has stature and power and privilege in the system. And here he comes at night. A guy who we would think sort of understood the light of God. In fact, was able to teach the light of God and the righteousness of God to other people. In fact, all throughout scripture, we have this theme of sort of the day versus the night. And the idea that what we do during the day is visible and good and honest, and what we do at night, maybe not so much. There's a difference between those two things, and that theme runs through scripture. So the point here is that we have 
Nicodemus, who's a teacher of God's law, who's a teacher of righteousness, who, who should be able to lead God's people and understand the light better than anybody. And he comes to Jesus out of the dark. Why do you think he does that? I think our best guess is that he is worried about how that will look. He, the teacher, he, the Pharisee, he, the leader, is worried about the perception of his colleagues, that he's going to this, this Jesus, this rabbi, who is admittedly one of them, clearly, working the, the miracles of God, but also kind of on the fringes. He's worried about being judged. He's worried about how he will look. And so he sort of sneaks in at night like no one's going to see him. And in fact, in all of the depictions of this story, if you look at any kind of painting or even in the movies now that they've made more recently, Nicodemus is always covered up and he's hiding. Because our interpretation of this text is that he is almost embarrassed. He doesn't want other people to see Jesus teach him something, to see Jesus school him, because he should have known it all already. He's afraid of the perception. He's afraid of what people will think of him. He's afraid of being judged. And he's not quite sure yet that following Jesus or being associated with Jesus is worth the risk. The good news for Nicodemus is that we hear about him two more times in Scripture. This is the first one. In the second one, Jesus is just about to be hauled in by the Sanhedrin. He's just about to be tried, and Nicodemus speaks up and reminds his colleagues that Jesus is entitled to be heard. So he doesn't yet claim Jesus' innocence or the fact that Jesus is Messiah, but he is speaking up for him. He is witnessing. He's choosing to be part of the story. And then the last time we hear of Nicodemus, he's actually with Joseph of Arimathea when they take Jesus' broken body off the cross and prepare to lay it in the tomb. And surely by then, he's willing to risk the stigma. He's willing to risk the perception He's willing to be the one who's taught. He's willing to acknowledge that Jesus is the source of the light. Now, like Nicodemus, we all live in a world that experiences the same kind of darkness, the same kind of judgment and misconceptions. We're taught over and over again not to let anyone see that we need help or that we need to learn something or that we aren't whole, complete, in-control people all the time. This surely was one of Nicodemus' fears, that people would see him that way. But there's many other kinds of darkness too, aren't there? Not just the darkness of sort of being afraid of what people will think about us, but, but there are many, many other kinds of darkness that descend on us. And I think the promise of the story of Nicodemus is that even though this conversation admittedly doesn't go terribly well, he and Jesus don't quite seem to jive yet, eventually... He sort of gets over that, and he chooses to follow Jesus and chooses then to be someone who walks in the light, someone who's part of the day, someone who witnesses to the story and claims to be part of Jesus' crowd. The really good news of this gospel actually is in the last couple of lines. The second to last line is famous. Everybody loves John 3.16. For God so loved the world right? Everybody loves that line. And there's nothing wrong with it. I don't, I don't mean to say you shouldn't love that line. It's a good one. But I actually like the last line of this passage better. 
because we do, all of us live in this world that judges and condemns and complains and mistrusts and has misconceptions and tells us we should categorize and codify and live in a particular box and live a particular way. In fact, we live in a world, at least I think, that tells us not really to engage our faith or talk about it on any level. At best, people kind of roll their eyes at us, right? And at worst, they feel like we're trying to oppress them with our beliefs. Nicodemus lives in the same world. And yet that last line of the gospel says, the son doesn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And that ultimately is the invitation and the promise of this Sunday in Lent, that while there is darkness around us, and, and sometimes admittedly in us, there's also that pinprick at the end of the maze, that if we follow it, we'll eventually turn into a path and a door and a light that can take us out of the darkness. And I have to believe that as Nicodemus grows in his relationship with Jesus, that's exactly what happens. In this first conversation, he doesn't understand anything, and maybe it's just this pinprick of light, but for some reason, he hears something that makes him hang in there, that makes him hang on, and they build a relationship. And by the end, he is all in, risking his own life to be there and to take Jesus' broken body down off the cross to pay his respects because he knows who Jesus is. So the invitation of this Sunday in Lent is to look seriously at the darkness in our own lives. And it might be the same darkness as Nicodemus, the concern that people will judge us, the concern that they might see us as not being totally whole and totally perfect and totally in control of everything. And if you have figured that out, by the way, could you please come tell me about that? That might be the darkness. But the promise is that no matter what darkness you find yourself in, no matter what the maze is, no matter how far away the light is, it is there. And he is there, trying to show you the way out of it. Even if the darkness is so heavy and so disorienting that you need to s swim through it. Even if you start bumping into things and you're not sure you're going the right way, you just need to find him. And he's in there somewhere, in the midst of the darkness, trying to bring you back into the light. And while you try to hold on to that little pinprick of light, if it does feel far away, remember that he comes not to condemn you, not to judge you, not to tell you you're not good enough, but to show you the way toward the light because that ultimately is the way that we get saved. So my friends, in the darkness of Lent, in the darkness of the world around us, in the teeny tiny little dark places in your heart, follow the light. He's looking for you. Follow the light. Amen.